won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. You won't relent until you have it all. My heart is yours. You won't relent until you have it all my heart is yours you won't relent until you have it all my heart is yours set you as a
many of you know that he doesn't relent he doesn't give up in his pursuit and his love for us and even yet while we were still sinners he died for us I'm gonna have Joe and Marla share testimony in just a moment let's go ahead and go to that testimony but um, what a special day this is are you guys are you excited about the times are you a little bit you know you don't know what to think you know we should be excited these are the days the Lord planned that you would be on the earth, that you would be in America, the year 2020. And uh, he knew all these things would happen, and he knew that there was something greater going to happen. And uh, it's, it's what you and I have been called to in this hour. So we just bless the Lord. We bless the Lord. Bless his name. And you know we need to brag on what God is doing. So I wanted to Joe to come up and tell you something that happened in his and Marla's life. Um, <clears throat> it really, we need to share this story as much as we can. Um, but know our hearts, this is not about Marla and I. It's about God's goodness, his promise, his grace, his love for us. Um, but anyway, back on um, July 4th, we were getting together with some friends, and um, I didn't know this part had happened until a couple days later. But during that time, Marla was able to spend time with Margaret. And the Lord had given Margaret a word from Marlon, and uh, it was basically that God was getting ready to do something big with her healing. Uh, Marla's had Crohn's disease since she was in junior high, and the Lord said he's going to do something that will, so that she would not have to be dependent on, on the medicine. So she's feeling fine that day. We um, leave, we go home, we're sitting there at home, and... Um, it's maybe three or four hours after Margaret had shared that with her. I could tell Marla was in a little bit of pain or discomfort, so I asked her, are you okay? And she goes, no, I have a lot of pain. It was up high. It's not normally where it is. And then a little bit later, she said, I feel really sick. Well, whenever Marla says she's, not, she's feeling sick, then it's probably not good news. But uh, we prayed, and we went through a time where she was... Um, the pain and the sickness, and finally, and I kept asking her, what do you want to do? And it's like, I, I don't know, I don't know. So we pray and go through, and 
Finally, about one o'clock, I said, um, get dressed, we're going to the ER. And usually if I'd say that to my wife, she would say, well, let's just wait a little bit longer. I didn't even have the sentence finished and she was back in the bedroom getting dressed. So I knew she was in a lot of discomfort. So we go to the ER, they do blood work. And uh, the ER doctor at the time came in and said, you have pancreatitis. So, and she wanted to do a CAT scan to make sure there wasn't anything else going on. So they took her down, did a CAT scan, and this ER doctor came up and um, she looked like her cat just died or something. I mean, she was really, she actually apologized. She said, I'm sorry, and she said, I got bad news. And she goes, when we did the scan, there's a large mass on your pancreas and there's a lesion on uh, somewhere on her backbone that they needed to check all that stuff out. Well, she's, um, but God had his hand in this the whole time because she didn't speak a lot of stuff over her. Um, I mean, it wasn't like a lot of garbage was coming forth that we were having to break off, but she, she was obviously concerned. Well, then the shift changed and another ER doctor came in and he continued with the same thing. It was very specific, 1.9 centimeters uh, was the size. So they, they admit Marlin to the hospital, they have to get the pancreas calmed down. So our first um, hospitalist doctor, he was ready to do all kinds of tests and had her set up with oncology and Winston-Salem. And they told him, just slow the horses down, we need to get the inflammation down before we can do any other testing. So um, the first night, the other thing, we had great favor, the hospital had just the week before I just ended the no visitor ban. And I asked him, What's, what are the rules? I don't want to break the rules. The rules at that time were one visitor a day for four hours. And, um, but they, they went and checked with their superiors, whatever, came back and said, you can come, pretty much come and go as you want. I came in in the morning, would stay too early in the afternoon. I'd take a break to grab lunch or whatever, come back and they let me stay as late as I wanted to stay. So, and it didn't matter what nurse or nurses were on shift, they were all, we all had that favor. So, <clears throat> the first night before I went home, we prayed, and I can remember Marla's prayer being uh, just that she wanted God to complete his perfect will in Marla and I's life. And if that was for her to go home, then she was fine with that. So I went home and went through different emotions and stuff. And, and over this whole time, even though there were emotions and concerns, fear wasn't part of it. I mean, there was an overriding peace through the whole thing. I get dressed and I'm sitting there in the chair just kind of meditating before I, I went to the hospital. And I saw a vision and it was a hand that was made like you'd make a toy gun. And from the knuckle to the end of the finger was red poker hot. And I saw this hand go into Marla's body and burn away whatever was there. So I, I, I shared that with Marla and that was kind of the promise that we were standing on. Then over the weeks, it was a month, it was almost, it was a month and two weeks before her testing was scheduled in Winston-Salem. Um, I know there was at least three or four people and I can't remember who you all were, but we would pray or they would say, um, we're praying for Marla, and they would say, we think it's, there's nothing there, it's gone. Or I've seen him remove it. So there was confirmation to that. But I gotta tell you in the midst of that, um, I still struggled at times. It's like, what if, you know, what if? And I shared that with quite a few people and the more I shared it, I'm thinking, what if it, that doesn't happen, and I'm thinking it doesn't mean anything. It, it, um, it's not up to us or what, I, I don't know. It just, I just kept feeling that I needed to share that. Um, the day before, the night before we went to Winston-Salem, um, we, uh, John and Amanda came over and prayed with us, and that was a God thing, because that just came out of nowhere. And, um, Thursday morning we went in, the schedule was to do an MRI, then go over to the other building where they did an endoscopy, and then when they were in there, they were gonna take tissue to be able to do a biopsy. And um, so they, they let me stay in the room that they were prepping her when they took her. So I'm sitting there in the chair, and they roll Marla back in, 
And um, the one orderly, of course, he's got a mask on, but I could tell he was smiling. And I, we don't know him from Adam. But he'd give me a thumbs up, and he goes, she did really good. She did really good. Well, a lot of times when people go in for tests like that, they do really good. And I'm thinking, that's cool. You know, they're, what did they really do? But they're doing good. <laughs> and, uh, but Hope was really starting to, like, what, what's he saying? And he finally said, I'm not supposed to tell you the, orderly, or the uh, pathologist is supposed to tell you, but he goes, there's no mass. And the nurse that was there with him said, uh, you're not supposed to tell him that. That's for the pathologist. He told me three times, there's no mass. There's no mass. And, and he was giddy. And I envisioned that days before. What, and I just envisioned myself just screaming out the name Jesus. And I tried, but I could. I didn't realize how much emotion had been building up in there, and I, all I could get out was, thank you, Jesus, and it, but it, it was unbelievable. There was, because they said it's a mass, it's either cancerous or it's a cyst. There was no cyst, no mass, no nothing. Amen. And the pathologist, when he, or when he came in to give the news, he said, I don't think you even had pancreatitis. <laughs> so it wasn't just that... God removed whatever was there. He, Marlo, we don't know. She's asking, did she get a new pancreas or did he just heal? It, it was kind of amazing because he looked at me. He's kind of like, why are you here? Um, it, it looks so good. I don't even believe you had that, which we, we know I did. It's just the goodness of our God that he not only takes care of a mass, but the pancreas looks amazing. Um, and it's just, and the other thing I want to say is, I, Joe was probably more emotional than I was through the whole thing, because our prayer, we've talked about unity, our prayer as a church together is massive. It's not only my testimony, it's a testimony of the house here, because in the hospital, they're looking, like one doctor looked at me, he said, you know, they might have to shave your head, there's great wigs now, and I kept looking at him like, who are you talking to? It's just there was such this bubble of peace. And I know it was the prayers of the saints. And I just thank everyone here and want to let you know the power we have in Jesus as unity to stop every plot of the enemy. Um, so I just thank, and thank you all um, for just being a part of this. And, it, and to me, it is a testimony of the entire church. And I just I thank you. Yeah. It, it is very humbling to know everyone that was praying. Yeah. Uh, when we had John and Amanda come over the night before, Marla, she was in quarantine because she was tested for COVID. She had to self-quarantine before she went in for the test. She goes, you think somebody could come over and pray with us? And I looked at her and said, honey, people are praying all the time. She goes, I know, I know. But again, that was a God thing that he connected that morning with me, with John and, and Amanda, and it just worked out. Um, but the enemy tried to minimize when the doctor was saying, I don't even think he had, but he reminded me there were four doctors, two ER doctors and two hospitalists that were very specific about the 1.9 centimeter, about the blood work that showed pancreatitis. So it was all there, but, but God kind of said, one of these is going to be your reality. Which, which do you want to believe? My promise for you. And Margaret, I believe the healing is still to come. Amen. It wasn't Amen. about that. It was about the Crohn's and, and other issues. So we are standing. And the, the Lord just told me that people, not all of us, this is our new norm. Amen. But it will never be normal. Yeah. This is our new norm, but it will never be normal. Thank you, Jesus. Thank all of you. We love you. You know, this is a, it's an exciting time to live. I mean, are you a little bit excited? If you're still coming to church in this hour, one of the plans of the enemy was to get rid of the make-believers. I'm just telling you, so that he could gather a people that would pursue him regardless of the cost. 
It's going to be costly to follow Christ in this hour. It should have been all the time. Jesus said, if you got to count the costs if you're going to come after me. And the American church is going to get a revelation of the cost of what it means to take up your cross. Not everyone is willing to take up their cross. Remember when, you know, there were many that wanted to follow him because everything was exciting. There were many miracles and signs. And, uh, but this was in John chapter 6. And in verse 66, John 6, 6, 6, it's interesting. Many of them turned and followed him no more because the price was too great. They had to give up their life and receive him as their life. So anyway, the same thing is happening today. But anyway, it's an incredible time. It's an urgent hour. It's urgent that we be, what is that guy, Kevin's, I don't remember his last name. Sadow. He said he had an encounter, a visitation. He said the, the Lord told him, I've had it with lukewarmness. I'm done with lukewarm." And uh, so, anyway, that would sound like the Lord to me, because you look that up in the Scripture, it says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I will spew you out of my mouth if you're lukewarm. I would rather you be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. Anyway, that's an urgent hour, we, and it's a late hour. Also, there's a lot at stake. How many of you know there's much at stake right now? The soul of a nation is at stake, and the souls in this nation are at stake. That's what you and I are here for. You and I are to disrupt the plans of hell. I'm telling you, I I know, you know, a few weeks ago, we preached on the marks of the beast. Not the mark, but the marks. And I was telling the Lord, Lord, it sure looks like right now, everything I'm seeing in this chapter, Revelation chapter 13, sure looks like it could be or about to be or is happening right now and it could be but on the other hand maybe the devil is overplaying his hand and there's about to be a great disruption in hell and a great awakening I I don't know I'm just that's what I'm personally believing in I would rather believe you know that I just rather believe anybody else but also There's a lot of evil happening on our watch. So we have to, this is an urgent hour. The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing. So you do nothing, and what happens? Evil triumphs in the land. Anyway, it's just, and then it's, but then it's urgent because it's never too late. There's hope. Jesus did not come to the the well, the righteous. He came to the unrighteous. He came to that one who was sick, America's sick. And so we need the great physician. There's only one great physician in this hour, and his name is Jesus. So anyway, that's what you and I are all about. I want you to go to Psalm 144, and I want to just touch base. It won't take too long, but there's something that, that I want to show you out of this chapter. Thank God for Acts chapter 16. This is getting to be fun. God shows you stuff on Sunday morning totally different than what you had planned, totally unexpected. You weren't even looking for it. All you were doing was trying to read the Bible. Drink your coffee, read the Bible, and the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you. How many of you know that's a good thing? (laughs) That's a good thing. I'm, I'm going to be spoiled I want it to happen that way every day. I, I, I just want it to happen. I want to meet him every day. We want to come to church, not because you got to go. You want to go because you know who's going to meet you there. And he's not dressed in clothes. He's dressed in, he's dressed in white. But anyway, that's where we are. Psalm 144. Now, we were, some of you may remember, actually some of you may, some of you may not But we were in Psalm 144 probably a couple months ago. But we were just in the first few verses. And I want to look at something that's later on in that chapter that's important for the church to understand in this hour. But beginning with verse 1, he says, Blessed be the Lord my rock. You know, that is our highest calling is to be 
We are called to minister to Him. That's what coming together as the body of Christ is all about. We're here to minister to Him as a priest unto the Most High God. Now, we will minister one to another as we are ministering to Him. Great unity will come when our focus is above. We will love one another when we love Him. Does that make sense? So blessed be the Lord my rock. Now you're going to see in a moment, in verse 15, the same blessing is spoken, but this time upon the people whose God is the Lord God. So anyway, just to remind you in verse 1, blessed be the Lord who trains my hands for war. We have to be trained. We have to be around one another. You're not going to be trained on your own. You're trained under the anointing. Not just, you know, any lesson, but it's under the anointing. And uh, the Lord's training His people because he, He's called us to be overcomers in this hour. Not everyone that you believed was a strong believer is going to be tagged as an overcomer in the days to come. How do I know that? Because the Lord's main message to him who overcomes. That means there will be a choice. Somewhere along the way, we're going to have to make choices. Following choices, there are consequences. You know, endurance. We've been, we talked a lot about endurance. Now, you guys know we're not saved because you endure. You understand? You're saved by what? The blood of Jesus, faith in that redemption but endurance will lead you to your inheritance and to a testimony that will impact the earth. And anyway, there's a whole lot about that. But I heard someone suggest that maybe we were looking at endurance as the test of salvation. No, the salvation is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's my faith in his, what he did for me, not what I'm going to do for him. But my endurance... You know, it said, you have need of endurance, for after you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. There's an inheritance. There's something God wants us to walk in. Okay, so he trains. He's our loving kindness. When we preach this, we talked about the loving kindness. He's our fortress. He's our high tower, our deliverer, our shield, our refuge. And then in that scripture, verse 3 through verse 4, it talks about who God is compared to man. You know, that God is sovereign. You know, what is man? You know, that you're even mindful of him. Man's days are like a passing shadow. Do you know that's also true for the nations of the earth? Nations are here today and gone tomorrow. Their existence and their being a blessed nation depends on how, whether they obeyed the word of God or whether they disobeyed God. Does that make sense? The nation of America will be blessed. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So anyway, in verse 5 through verse 6, this is the kind of God we need in this hour. Bow down your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. This is our prayer. God, rise up, show yourself strong. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Scatter your enemy. Remember that scripture? Arise, O God, and scatter your enemies. Shoot out your arrows. Did you know God had some arrows? And destroy them. This was David's prayer. Some of you say, I could never pray that. Well, don't read this psalm. And don't read a lot of the psalms. Don't read it. Because you will be praying it if you read it. Especially if you read it out loud. You should read some of the... I mean, some of these psalms are really serious. It's almost like God is a serious God. That he's not some hamby-pamby that many have made him out to be. That he's holy, he's righteous, and he's God, and he's coming. You know, many, the first time he came, they looked for a lion. Someone that would take charge and wipe out the enemies and establish. He came as a lamb. He's coming in this hour. Many people are looking for a lamb. He's coming as a lion. He's coming as the Lion of Judah. Many people aren't going to recognize him because he's not coming the way they thought he would come. Same thing, same story. History repeats itself. Anyway, 
Uh, this is good stuff. So, you guys with me? Everybody engaged? Hey, Shirley, there's a guy in here that looks like Boyd Wickheiser. That guy, look, look at that guy. He looks just like Boyd Wickheiser, the guy with the beard. Anyways, an old friend of mine, he was one of the elders, my first church. And anyway, to me, I remember telling God, I said, God, these men are the model elders that I will judge every other elder for the rest of my life by. Because they were model men. I mean, I'm, Boyd Wickheiser was an amazing supporter, encourager. I, but anyway, you look just like him. It just reminds me of something. It's pretty cool. What's that? A definitely younger version. Yeah, that's been a few moons ago now. But Boyd is still alive, I believe. He's, he's doing good over in Virginia somewhere. Medical doctor. But anyway, get back to the subject here. What do you think you're doing? I'm just, I'm doing what I do. I don't want to be anything. I don't want to be any professional. I just want to be real. I want to be David. I want to preach what he's given me. That's it. You don't want to hear it. Don't come. You don't like it. That's up to you. I just want to say, thus saith the Lord. And when I stick to the word, I'm saying, thus saith the Lord. You know, there's a lot of people who don't want to hear, thus saith the Lord. They want to hear, thus saith Aunt Susie, or thus saith whatever. I want thus saith the Lord. But anyway, okay, so flash forth lightning. Shoot out your arrows. Stretch forth your hand. Rescue me. Now that's good. And if he's going to stretch forth, if he's going to shoot arrows and send forth lightning, you should probably include in that prayer, oh God, rescue me. Remember me. Deliver me out of great waters. From the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words. And whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. Let's go on. I will sing a new song to you, O God. The one who gives salvation to kings, who delivers David, his servant, from the deadly sword. Rescue me. There it is again. David, rescue me. Deliver me. You know that scripture that says, all that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? David would have fit right in there. Rescue me. Deliver me. Save me from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lying words. He repeats that. Whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. That our daughters may be as pillars sculptured in palace style. That our barns may be full supplying all kinds of produce. That our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our field, that our oxen may be well laden, that there be no breaking in or going out, that there be no outcry in our streets. And then it ends, verse 15, happy, or the word is blessed, blessed are the people who are in such a state. Happy or blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. So he begins by saying, blessed be the Lord, and then he brags on who God is, and then he talks about what God will do. And then at the end, he says, now blessed are the people. Blessed is the nation, in other words, whose God is the Lord. So the title of this message this morning is simply this. When a nation's God is the Lord versus when he's not. I want to show you out of this. It won't take long. But it's all right out of the scripture, and it's what we're facing today. There was a man by the name of James Lowell Russell. He was an early American poet, abolitionist, lived in the 1800s. He said this. He said, once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the conflict of truth with falsehood for the good or the evil side. How many of you would agree with me? America is at a crossroads. Either we're going to believe, we're going to choose what's right, or we're going to choose what's wrong. We're going to choose truth, or we're going to choose what's false. Joel chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Can I tell you that this nation is in the valley of decision? Nations, every nation on the earth in this hour has just entered the valley of decision. There are going to be sheep nations and there are going to be goat nations. 
But the truth is, every individual has entered into the valley of decision. Now, I know, you know, eschatology, they tell us what all that's about, and, and there, there's a lot yet to unfold. And I know that there's the natural, the spiritual. I'm just talking about how it relates to what we're facing today and in this nation. And we got to know, what kind of nation will we be? What will happen in a nation whose God is the Lord versus when it's not? And the first one is found in verse, um, verse 11. Notice this. Actually, you can see in verse 8, he says, Rescue me, uh, stretch, deliver me from the hand of foreigners, verse 7, whose mouth speaks lying words, and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. And then he repeats it in verse 11. Rescue me. From the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speaks lying words, whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying that you will have enemies without and you will have enemies within. And the way you will recognize your enemies is that they are lifting up that which is false. They will be at war with the truth. Because it's the truth that sets nations free. It's lies that bring them into captivity. And he says, the, your greatest enemies will be those in your own household. The, the psalm says, the proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with all of my heart. In other words, in the midst of lies, you and I are to do what we do. Obey God. Follow the Spirit. Read the Word. Share your faith. Pray and worship. You just do what you do, regardless of what's happening around us. Look over with me really quick. We'll come back to uh, that psalm, because there's about seven points, and it won't take long. You guys with me, we got to get this out. But look in Jeremiah chapter 9. Does this make sense? You think there's any foreigners in our midst that are pretending to be among us and whose right hand is falsehood, and out of their mouth they speak constant lies? It's where we're living. Acts, or Jeremiah, chapter 9. This is what Jeremiah said. He did not want to sleep in the times in which he was chosen to live. There are foolish virgins that are sound asleep, and they don't have the foggiest idea what is happening. There are wise virgins. They also may go to sleep. I think that parable speaks about that. But at least they're filling up their lamps with oil. And they have discernment. They can discern the times. But then look in verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. Jeremiah says, oh, God, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He says, God, I wish I was broken more than I am because of all that's happening. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place for travelers that I might leave my people and go from them for they all are adulterers and assembly of treacherous men and like their bow now look at this they have bent their tongues for lies they are not valiant for the truth on the earth they proceed from evil to evil and the reason for that is because they do not know him that's what he says they do not know me says the Lord and then he goes on and reads more, and you can read the rest of that later. But everyone, verse 5, will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. But what was Jeremiah crying out? He was saying, God, I want to make a difference. I want to be the one that's broken over the sins in the land. And I want to be one of those that are valiant for the truth on the earth. And so the difference, you know, a nation whose God is the Lord is they will have a love for the truth. A nation whose God is not the Lord, they will have a love for lies. You're going to see the difference in this hour. In fact, the Bible says it's only those that love the truth that are going to be saved. That's in regard as a nation. Does that make sense? It's God's truth. That's what Jerry was speaking today. It's the truth. We must give our children the truth. It's the truth that will see them through the days ahead that will give them a foundation. That when everything around them tells them something opposite, they'll believe, thus saith the Lord. I remember when I was in college, some of you remember too, and I went to geology class. The first day, 
they were speaking about how God did not create the heavens and the earth. First day, in class. I didn't like that. And I remember, I didn't stand up at that moment. Freshman, you know, certain things freshmen don't do. But I went down and I complained in the hallway as I'm walking through it. God, I don't believe, I don't agree with that guy. I don't agree. They told me you created the heavens and the earth. That God, you are the one that established the foundation. You created man. I don't care what they say. Something was in me that helped me to overcome that geology professor. Because he was wrong. Now I had to take the course. I think I made a C. I don't know how I answered. I don't know if they asked that question or not. I don't know how they did it. How are they deceiving the masses of people? I don't know. They have a way to do it. Because their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. And out of their mouth they're speaking lies. And then the next thing. When a nation's God is the Lord. Look in verse 12. Go back to Psalm 144 now. That our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. And that our daughters may be as the pillars sculptured in palace style. In other words, when a nation, God is the Lord, their sons and daughters will flourish. They will grow up in freedom and they will have opportunity to become everything God has purposed for them to become. Does that make sense? I know some of you are thinking... Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans of good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That promise was given in the midst of captivity. You didn't know that. Did you know that? That's why he, there was one prophet showed up and said, man, everything's going to start getting really fine. Peace and safety. Jeremiah showed up and said, man, this guy's putting more yokes on you than you got on you now. The truth is you're going into bondage. You're going under Babylonian captivity, but Remember the word of the Lord when you're there. I know the plans I have for you. Plans of good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. We need to look at that again in context. But I can tell you, having been in communist nations, the children do not flourish. They don't flourish. They grow up. Now they can flourish in Christ You're free in Christ, but if you grow up under communism, socialism, Marxism, there's going to be some difficulties come along the way. How many of you know that? It's just going to be, and that's what he's talking about. Our sons and daughters will be unhindered. They'll be able to reach their full potential. You know, the American dream used to be, you know, two kids two wives, no, 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 one wife, one wife, two kids, one wife, two car garage, that's how that, you know, at the end of a cul-de-sac. Some of the kids are not going to get to have that in this hour, do you know that? Unless things change. You know there's coming a day when many of the buildings in these big cities are going to be empty? They already are. But you know what the secret is? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The opposite is true, too. Where the Spirit of the Lord is not, there is captivity. Now you can live in captivity just like Paul and Silas, and be as free as free can be. Isn't that interesting? What's an amazing scripture. Psalm 119.45 says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. The nation that seeks the precepts of God, seeks the word of God, that's the nation that will walk in liberty. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, look in verse 13. That our barns may be full, supplying all kinds of produce. That our sheep may bring forth thousands. When a nation's God is the Lord, they will be, they will be delivered from the devastation of famine. There will be an abundance in the land. You know, recent articles. Here's some headlines of some recent articles. You know there were storms in Iowa and the breadbasket, those, those states, 
They were, there were hurricane force winds that blew down the crops, the corn crops. What did they say? 40% of the crops in Iowa were devastated by the winds. Came out of, I know, I've never heard of a hurricane in Iowa before. There's a lot going on, guys, we don't know. But anyway, that's interesting. Hurricane for, here's another article. Food collapse. German farmers in despair as field mice strip land, farmlands in areas within Germany. Field mice, they found, are going under the crops, causing much cross crop loss. Another, natural disasters killing China's food supply at breakneck speed. You didn't see that, did you? Here's another. Car, car lines stretches more than one mile in Dallas food bank as people struggle to feed their families. Here's another. States and federal agencies urging consumers to avoid panic buying while they are panic buying behind the scenes. Storing up food supplies, and this one example was in the state of Washington. They call it the COVID-19 Strategic Reserve. Now, some people would say, now, you know, that's fear-mongering. No, it's Bible. Can I show you what the Bible says about famine? Let me just give you a little taste of the Word of God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now, there was famine in the land. So that Abram went to Egypt, for the famine was severe in the land. And we know that God had a different plan for his people. Genesis 41, seven years of famine came upon the land just as God had shown Joseph in a dream. And God used Joseph, remember, to prepare that many people that would have died would live because Joseph obeyed the Lord. Did you hear that? Ruth 1.1, now it came about in the days... When judges governed that there was famine in the land. 2 Samuel 21.1. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years. Luke 4.25. Referring to Elijah. Remember, went to the widow. The widow is about to give her and her son, you know, the last meal. Then they're going to die. We're going to enjoy our last meal and then die. That was literally a last supper for them. You know what I mean? And Elijah shows up, and they give the man of God what would have kept them alive for at least a, a little bit more time. But God came through supernatural. And then 2 Kings, in the time of Elisha, there was famine. Isaiah 51, famine was one of the forms of judgment that would come because the people had rejected God. And then Acts eleven twenty eight, a prophet named Agabus. There are many churches today. Agabus showed up in this hour. He would be escorted promptly out the back door. But Ag Agabus stood up and by the Holy Spirit prophesied the approaching famine. Oh, unless we forget Jesus. Jesus prophesied of famine. He might be escorted out as well. But he said regarding the, the last days there will be earthquakes persecution, all these things. And he said there would be famine. Now look over quickly. You got to read this. Then we're going to look at the next other points. Now you guys are with me, right? You're awful quiet. You guys watching by web stream. Need to make some noise on the internet. I, I like to get the tweets from Rodney Howard Brown because he makes noise. They come up with stuff. Rodney just tells them like it is. He tweets it like it is. That's why probably they, they're taking him off at the tweeter there, you know. But anyway, I hope they don't take him off because I appreciate somebody that will tell it like it is, not beat around the bush. We need people from South Africa maybe that will tell us the truth because most Americans, we've all we've had is the American gospel. Obviously, we've left this in the closet or something. But the Bible has a lot to say about these times in which we're living. What do you think he gave us the book for? So we'll know his word. It's only his word. You're only going to stand in the times if you're standing on the word of God. Everything else is going to be shaken. All right, here we go. 37, Isaiah 37, verse 18. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria laid waste all the nations and the lands, and they've cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands. 
That's going to happen in our hour. All of the false gods are going to be exposed. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord God, save us from his, from his hand, that in all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord alone. You're the Lord alone. Now look in verse uh, 25. Oh, wait a minute. You were in Isaiah, weren't you? Go to Psalm. You don't want to be in Isaiah now. You've got to go to the right spot. What's wrong with you guys? It works anyway. That kind of fit in, didn't it? He is the one. He's going to be known. God's going to have the great testimony in this hour. All right. But this is a good scripture too. Psalm 37, verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the upright. And their what? Inheritance shall be what? Forever. Okay, for, say forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine they shall be what? Satisfied. But the wicked shall perish. And the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadow, shall vanish into smoke. They shall vanish away. Now look down in verse 25. I've been young, and now I am old. Well, that's what he says. I'm still young at heart. How many of you would agree with that? Yet, I've, yet still, regardless, I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. For he's ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are what? Blessed. Okay, back to uh, Psalm 144, verse 14. That our oxen may be well laden, that there be no breaking in or going out. In other words, for a nation whose God is the Lord, God will protect and build a wall around that nation. But the nation whose God is not the Lord, there will be a breach in that wall so that the enemies can break in and come in and devour the land. You say, how do you mean that? Well, first of all, this is what he says. That there be no breaking in or going out. The word breaking in means there's no breach in the wall. How many of you know God is the God who sets the borders of a nation? Acts chapter 17, you can read that. But he's the one that sets up the borders. I got to insert this. I saw, I did not watch that convention. But I saw one preacher who spoke at that convention speaking about how if we were really godly, we would lower the borders and we would let anyone come in. I tweeted. I had to respond, guys. I could not let it go by. Number one, you're a phony. You are not a man of God. If you were a man of God, you would know what the Word of God says. God is the God that raises up the borders of a nation. He puts the people in the borders so that they will seek Him and find Him. And find that he's the answer to what they're looking for. That man was not a, he's not a man of God. And if you're in his church and you're watching this, you need to throw that man out. He's not a man of God. He's a phony. He's a fraud. He's a false prophet. He was telling the people what they want to hear. He's not a man of God. Anyway, I need to be more kind about that. But God's the God that sets the borders. God's the one that removes them. You guys are not in a big, big hurry. Look in Isaiah 5. I've got to show you this, and then I'll quit. But you've got to see this in Isaiah 5. Now, this is the real Isaiah. Yeah, man, we ain't got, listen, this is too late. We ain't got time for this other stuff. Anyway, I'll just review this. This is really amazing. But he's singing about his own vineyard, in Isaiah 5, in verse 1, a well-beloved, he's singing a song to his people, a well-beloved vineyard. And how he took care of it, he built a tower in the midst of it. He expected that vineyard to bear forth good grapes, but it brought forth only wild grapes. And he was speaking about his own people. In verse, he says, so it expected it to bring forth 
Good grapes, but it didn't. And then verse 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, me, between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done? I've done it all. What more could I have done that I haven't done? And then in verse 5, And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my, say my vineyard, my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned. I will break down and break down its walls and it shall be trampled down. And I will lay it waste and there'll be wailing and all these things. You know, Shirley told me about this. I didn't know anything about it. But the 2019 Kentucky Derby winner was a horse by the name of Maximum Security. But 22 seconds after maximum security crossed the finish line, he was disqualified. The race was stolen, really, from him because of a technicality. Somehow around one of the bends, maximum security bumped in. Now, those horses he bumped into wasn't really big. But they didn't say anything about it. They knew it didn't didn't hinder, you know, it didn't interfere. But the, the horse that came in right behind Maximum Security started raising a ruckus. Not the horse, but the owner, you know, the rider and the people. And he wasn't, he didn't get bumped into. Had nothing to do with him. But he rose up and stole the trophy, basically, over a technicality. I was thinking about that. God, they're trying to defund the police, rioting in the cities, It's like maximum security is being removed. Why? Because God hates us? No, because God loves us. Because whom he loves, he disciplines. He's trying to get our attention. He's trying to tell America, America, without God, chaos will erupt in your cities. You will not have the... Listen... You can have all the security you want. If God's not watching over that city, if he's not guarding the place, you're not going to be guarded. And the same thing, you can lower, you can do whatever you want to to defund the police, but if God is guarding America, I don't care what you do, you ain't going to get in the walls. Our God is the one that protects, and our God is the one that opens the doors. Yes. Oh, even the one that won didn't get to enjoy his spoils for very long because he got sick. He had a virus. He got a virus. I mean, now God, this has got to, got to be something prophetic in this. What happened? He never raced again. God, what does all this mean? Okay, verse 14. That are, there be no breaking in or going out. Now look at this. That there be no outcry in our streets. When a nation's God is the Lord, he will silence the outcry and there will be peace in the streets of the land. When God is not the Lord, there will be an uproar, chaos, and confusion. Just as we are watching happening. Was it Denver last night? And how many cities, night after night after night after night after night. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't go in with force and take care of it. I know there are governors and mayors that are encouraging it. I understand all of that. I just know there's a higher authority than that governor or that mayor. And his name is the Lord God. And when God is ruling over the land, there's peace. There will be no outcry in the streets. Do you see what I'm talking about? And then the next thing is in verse 15. It says, blessed are the people who are in such a state. Blessed or happy are the people whose God is the Lord. When God is the Lord, there will be blessing in the land, upon the food supplies, upon the security supply. I mean, everything. Blessing. The key is the blessing of God. And then the last thing you have to see that was there. We don't want to miss it, but in verse 10, he says, You're the one that gives salvation, who delivers David, his king, from the deadly sword. What does that mean? War. 
God is the one that causes wars to cease in the earth. He's the one that will deliver a nation from the threat of war, or he is the one that will allow the war to happen because of the rejection of him. Does that make sense? In fact, Jesus already said there would be wars. There'd be rumors of wars. Ethnic groups, ethnos, groups, races battling against one another. He said this all would be. Anyway, we're living in an incredible time. I want to end this message because I promised I would. You have to finish sometime. But you remember there were the two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Remember that? And was it on Mount Ebal where they were to write out all the blessings or the curses? Though that was the cursed one. What they did, basically, they established the laws of God for the people of God. And they said on one mountain, half of the tribe stood on one mountain, and the other half of the sons of Abraham stood on the other. Mount Ebal was the curses. Mount Gerizim was the blessing. And the people had to choose. You want to live on Mount Ebal and be among the cursed, or do you want to be living on Mount Gerizim and be among the blessed? And the choice It was a choice. America is in the valley of decision as I speak. And in the next few months, America will make the choice as to whether they will follow Baal. And they will follow Baal. You mark my word. Or they will follow God. But what about you and me? You know the the buck stops here. We have to make that choice. We have to make. It's a daily choice. And Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. That means die and follow me. For the rest of your life, because you've exchanged your gods. I want to just pray right now. I know and believe there are people watching that maybe have never done that. They've never exchanged gods. Either you will be the God of your own life and ultimately you will discover that your God was was someone else. Or he will be your Lord God. Right? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And happy are the people whose such state is this. But you say, I don't know if I know him. I want to make sure I know him. My friends, this is the hour. This is the day of salvation. We're it. We're the remnant. We got to trumpet this sound of salvation in the earth while we have opportunity to shout it. We got to be the people of God while we have the opportunity to be the people of God. You can be the people of God in prison or you can be the people of God before you go to prison. The prison may not be as full when you get there, which might not be a bad idea. Does that make sense? You've got to be the people of God one way or the other. Regardless of what happens, we're not surrendering. We're not backing up. We're not retreating to the enemies of the cross. I believe we can dismantle the powers of hell. We can disrupt the plans because greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. I just believe that. If it's the end of the age, the Lord will tell me, you believed me for something that wasn't going to happen, son, because it's time I was going to call you guys home. This is it. This is the end of the story. If he tells me that, it's okay. How many of you know he won't be mad at me? We're supposed to occupy until he comes. Don't look for the coming. Look for the one who is coming and be about the Father's bidding. Those who do the Father's will are those who are going to enter in. There'll be a bunch who said, Lord, Lord. He said, you did not do what I said. You did not do the Father's will. I want to be among those that do the Father's will. And the beginning begins when you trust in Jesus. Amen. So I want to lead you in a prayer. And uh, so let's, it's somebody in here, if you don't know the Lord, this is the day of salvation. So let's just pray. You guys pray with me. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can draw you. You can't just make your mind up. I think I'll trust Jesus. No, the Holy Spirit draws you and convicts you of sin. 
you recognize I am a sinner and I make a choice to turn from my sin and turn to trust in you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, we just, just pray this out loud. Dear God, I need you. I believe in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, and now I surrender to you. I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin, and I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. I confess, Jesus, that you died and you rose from the dead. And I receive you by faith. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with power. Fill me with fire that I would live my life for you and bring you great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.